Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Up next on Celeb Savant, I'll be speaking to Mike Scott from The Waterboys. The Waterboys are a folk rock band formed in Edinburgh in 1983 by Scottish musician Mike Scott. The band's membership, past and present, has been composed mainly of musicians from Scotland, Ireland, Wales and England. Mike Scott has remained as the only constant member throughout the band's career. They've explored a number of different styles, but their music is mainly a mix of folk music with rock and roll. Up next on Celeb Savant, we've got Mike Scott from the Waterboys. Thank you for joining me, Celeb Savant, today. So where do we find you in the world? What's happened in your life and how are you doing? I'm in Dublin, Ireland at home. Just returned from a family holiday to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Billa Ricky Dicky, I'm doing very well. <laughs> and how was Japan? Hot. Was it hot? Mm, very hot. Let's take it all the way back to the beginning of your music career. Mm. I know it's a, many decades, so let's dive into the very beginning. What inspired you to start singing, being creative, creating music? Let's start at the very beginning. Well, I started to fall in love with records, Barrett, when I was about nine years old. You know, later on, I would get crushes on girls, but first I got crushes on records. <laughs> like my first love. Uh, and I, I decided then that what I really wanted to do was to, to live inside music and to, to make music. And a few years after that, one of my parents bought me a guitar and then I taught myself to play. And I always had teenage bands and and really, nothing ever replaced that. That was always what I wanted to do. It was always my number one interest. Where does the name The Water Boys come from? Why that name? It's, it's in America. It's a well-known word. because It means that the boys who brought water to the chain gang or, or to the sports players. But it's not a word that's known in, in the British Isles, where I come from. Uh, and I encountered it on a Lou Reed album. The album was called Berlin. It's one of his best-known albums. It was a great favourite of mine when I was a teenager. And there's one song where he sings, I am the water boy. And I didn't know what a water boy was, but I, I liked the, the feel of the word. I liked the mystery of the word. So I picked it as my band name. And, of course, soon after I started using it as my band name, people started saying, well, wait, do you know what Waterboy is? Why did you choose that? And, and so on. And then I, I discovered what it actually means. Did it change your perception of the name once you discovered what it meant? No, I didn't really care because, you know, a band name is a band name and it, 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 its meaning changes as people associate it with the band. For example, you think of Led Zeppelin. Well, well, everybody thinks of the band when they hear that word. They, they don't necessarily think of, of a, 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 a Zeppelin made of lead. They think of the band. With the, yeah. When you think Beatles, people don't think what a bad pun it is. They just think of the Beatles. I suppose so, yeah, that's correct. Let's dive into the creative mind of Mike. Tell us, what is the process of creating songs or music? Is it Still the same today as it was then. How does the process of creating from nothing to a three to four minute song come about for you? Well, it can come about in all different kinds of ways. Okay. Not an easy question to answer cold like that because, yeah. because it's such a wide topic and there are such a variety of ways, especially for an older artist like myself. Uh, and over, over my life in music, I've discovered so many other w 
there's so many different ways that a song can be sparked. A song can come out of a chord sequence. I might be playing guitar and, and a light upon a chord sequence that really turns me on. And I think, oh, it sounds like a song. Man, what, what words could go with this? Or it could come from a title. Yes. Like Full of the Moon, which was a title that became a song. Or it could come from a couplet, a rhyming couplet. Or it might be that, that I've got a concept and I want to write a song about a specific matter. Uh, and I, I write in all those ways. I, I suppose I had a more limited set of, of spurs to songwriting when I began. And over the years, it's broadened. Speaking of the, the song, The Whole of the Moon, mm. I'm not sure if you heard, read that article or heard about, about that person who had lost their memory. And, yes. And hearing that song sparked their memory to return. Yeah. How does that make you feel? And what does that mean to you? Well, you know, it's not that big a deal, really, because obviously the song meant something significant to the chap. And I'm very, very glad it and recover his memory but it could have been any other song really i don't think it necessarily means that my song is a particularly amazing song because of that or anything but of course i'm touched that it meant so much to him that it yeah. sparked his memory. What, who in, inspires you some of your favorite artists that you listen to back in the 80s 90s and today are they still the same artists or are there any other artists that you have grown into at, you know that are new artists that have come out in the later decades? Well, really, I started listening to music in the 1960s yeah. uh, when I was a kid. Uh, and my favorite artists then were the Beatles yeah. and, and the pop artists of the day, soul music artists. And in fact, I didn't even think in terms, of, apart from the Beatles, perhaps, I didn't think in terms of artists. I just thought in terms of songs or records. And, and I would have all my favorite records. Then when I reached about 11 or 12, I began to be a fan of particular artists artists like the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan and so on uh, and and I still like those artists I, I don't really listen to Bob so much these days but I still love the Rolling Stones and the Beatles very much and I still love all the soul music that I listened to as a kid all, all the Motown music and still for me that's that's the gold standard really Marvin Gaye singing I heard it through the grapevine nothing's ever beat that for me but but I still discover new artists yes uh, and I just just discovered a, a band called the KCBs from Germany, yeah. who I actually heard when I was in Japan. I was in a bookstore, and there's this great music playing, uh, funky music with, with a fantastic uh, female voice. And it was it was the KCBs with a girl singer whose name, confusingly, is Bowie, spelt like as in David Bowie. Yes, and and this killer song. So I'm I'm still open to hearing music anywhere and, and wherever. And music was, as you mentioned, it was vinyl, cassettes, CDs. These days, it's these digital platforms that people are consuming music through and by. What are your perceptions of the way consumers are now listening to music compared to back when you were a child or when you first started releasing music? Well, I probably don't have anything very interesting to say on this because it's it's such a, a widely disseminated topic that that almost everything that could be said about it has been said. Yeah. Um, many people before me have commented that in, in the late 50s and early 60s, when when the first generations of, of rock musicians were coming up, it was very hard for them to access the music. They would have to buy a, a record on an import or they might have to tune into an offshore radio station uh, after dark with, with, a, you know, with a torch under their, their bedclothes to... To, to find the, the right place. And 
it was very, very hard for them to find the music, and that increased the value of the music uh, and the mystery of the music. Yes. And, you know, I'm reminded of people like Pete Townsend or John Lennon talking about how they would they would try to get the Radio Luxembourg single so they could hear the latest Little Richard single. And now, of course, it couldn't be more different because everybody's got almost all the music that's ever been made at the press of a button. Uh, and in in way, some ways, of course, that's a great thing. And in some ways, it takes away the mystery of music. Uh, and I don't really have anything to add to that, except it's just the way it is. And uh, and all through the history of music, people have dealt with, with the, the way it is. And, and uh, there's nothing you can do about it, really. I like what you said about it being a mystery, because these days, the whole album is released at... You can find all the information, whereas before it was like one single, and what would that single be? And then then it would be another single, and a few weeks later, the album release, and you don't know what would be on the album. And it takes it, the mystery and the excitement has been taken away a little bit from that experience. So the younger generations these days won't know that experience of that, oh, we're going to be hearing the first single on this time on the charts or this time on the radio. And then the rest of the album will be a secret until you get it into your hands. So that whole mystery of finding everything out is you, you, you're right, has been taken away. It's taken away that excitement, a little bit of excitement of the, the release of music for me a bit. Well, actually I, I disagree. Okay. Because if, if Taylor Swift goes online and says, my new album's dropping on Friday, uh, millions of Taylor Swift fans will be incredibly excited, uh, especially on Friday morning when they yep. can download the. So it's just it's just moved into a different form. I suppose so. Yeah, easier to attain. Yes, definitely easier easier to obtain. Yes, performing live. Tell me about that. I understand you'll be coming to South Africa shortly. Yes. I look forward to, I look forward to seeing and seeing and hopefully meeting you in person. Tell us about your experience of performing live. What is that? for you and why does the stage keep calling you back each year oh well i i have always loved walking onto a stage it's that experience of stepping out from the wings into the the spotlight on the stage is one of the most exciting things in my life and i and i never stop loving it what brings you that excitement you know what are the different elements for you well it's a combination of things i suppose i, I i've got to say i don't think about it i don't okay. unpack it it's just something i enjoy but if I had to think about it and, and say what are the elements that make up that excitement, part of it, of course, is the audience and yes. the, the the excitement of the if the audience is excited themselves, of course, that creates a strong atmosphere. And part of it is the the fact of actually standing on a stage and everyone's attention being on me, and and it's also the the pleasure and excitement and indeed privilege of playing music into the consciousness of the audience, of delivering something, and also something that's unpredictable. I don't know exactly how it's, what form it's going to take when we start playing, and I don't know exactly how I'm going to sing the song. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to play the guitar, and I'm not sure exactly what my band are going to do. There's a whole lot of discovery to happen on that stage, and I enjoy the, the, the act of delivering that or channeling that to the audience and then getting the audience's feedback and then using the audience's feedback to inspire me a little bit higher and so on. And, and the whole experience is, is a very satisfying and exciting one. Of course, sometimes it goes wrong as well. And you, every artist knows you can have a bad gig or you can have an off night. But fortunately, uh, in the Waterboys, we don't seem to have many of those. And 
and I've always enjoyed her, her live work. And I'm very much a person who likes to stand like right in the front at concerts. Mm-hmm. And what bothers me about the rest of the people is they've got their cell phones up, trying to get perfect video, perfect photo, where you guys are right there, right in front of us. And I find it so distracting for myself, seeing everyone with their cell phones trying to get those perfect elements of perfect videos what are your thoughts these days of just so many people with their cell phones up compared to being in the present moment and just being there and enjoying the show yeah well it's an interesting thing isn't it it's an interesting psychology behind it the reason that they put the cell phones up is that they want to share it with other people who are not there uh, and they want to share it to show how cool they are perhaps or maybe they just love the music and want to share the music and uh, they've got their own motivations for doing it and i don't have a big problem with it if if someone if someone down in the front few front rows is filming a video and they've got a light on me now i'd have a problem with that because that begins to distract from the show yeah. uh, and another thing I, I noticed a very interesting thing recently we did some shows uh, acoustic shows in, in small venues in the USA. And we did a show in Brooklyn and someone had taken a photograph from the side of the stage, but but above from a little balcony to one side of the stage. Yeah. And you could see you could see the stage very clearly, a very nice picture of us performing, but you could also see the first four rows of the audience. And I could see half a dozen people were looking at their mobile phones. And I'm not talking about filming on their mobile phones like you like you were talking yeah. about. But they're doing their fucking emails or something on the mobile phone oh. or they're reading Twitter. And I thought that's totally out of order. If you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna gig and spend your time looking at your phone stay out don't kill the atmosphere by doing it in the auditorium oh yeah i mean these days people can't concentrate on one thing they have to like be busy be at movies or at show and instead of just being present on that or videoing their minds can't consume more than one thing at a time there has to be 500 things at the same time oh that is so irritating (laughs) people are addicted to their phones Um, yeah I'm probably addicted to mine. I think, I think everybody is addicted to the mobile phone and to, to the the accessing of information. We, it's, we're in the information age and it just goes with the territory. But I do think people sitting in the front bureaus looking at the phones, that's, a, that's out of balance. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot. I love this. So you must probably have already said one of the songs. Your top five, not necessarily favorites, but your top five songs by other artists. I couldn't say definitively my top five. There's no such thing. But I can pick out five favourites for you. If you yes, want. please. Absolutely. Well, one of my great favourites is Why the Shade of Pale by Procol Harum. Yes. The, the classic single, the most magnificent record. Yes. And how how otherworldly it must have sounded when it was released. Of course, we're all incredibly familiar with it now. Yeah. But at the time, in 1967, it must have sounded like a bulletin from another universe. <laughs> I also I also very much love King Curtis's instrumental version of it. King Curtis was a, a, a great sax player. He's on many classic records. He, you know, he's on the old Coasters records like Yakety Yak. Uh, and he played with Aretha Franklin and Eric Clapton and John Lennon and many greats. And he made his own singles too. And, and he did a fantastic live version of What a Shade of Pale. It's it's used as the opening music on the film With Neil and I. Okay. Uh, he's probably, probably best known these days for that. But his version of What a Shade of Pale is absolutely magnificent. So perhaps that counts as two. Yes. And then for a third, I'll give you Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones. Okay. Sort of where I came in, really. That was that was number one. Just when I was getting turned on to music, 
Okay. Uh, and for me, for me, rock and roll's never got better than that. That's so. That's the the summum bonum of exciting rock and roll to me. Uh, and I'll pick a few things from from later years. I love uh, Coney Island by Taylor Swift okay. on her on her Evermore album. It's an absolutely magnificent track. She did it with the National, uh, and a, a magnificent structure and very very emotional. Uh, so I, I respect her very much. I love her music very much. Uh, and uh, one, one more, more, one more, one more. I'll pick someone from the punk rock days. God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Okay, <laughs> that that's an incredibly exciting record. I remember when it came out. I played it ten times in a row, full volume, just marveling at how much power and momentum was in the grooves of the record. Well, thank you for that. It's an interesting top five. But so when you're listening to music, first time con. Uh, compared to listening to the same song 10 times later, are you listening to the lyrics, the construction, the energy? What What is your listening experience of when you're listening to other artists' songs? When I listened to music as a kid, I just heard the overall atmosphere of the record. Okay. I didn't have any sort of discernment within it. But as soon as I became a, a songwriter, I began to tune in more to the quality of the lyrics and the, the difference between the lyric and the music and the way the lyrics served the music and vice versa. And then as soon as I became a recording artist, which would be when I was around about 2021, 20, I began to notice the way that songs were recorded. And now, now I'm in my early 60s now, now when I listen to a record, I hear all of that at once. I hear the atmosphere of the record. Mm-hmm. I hear lyrics i hear how the lyrics interact with the rest of the record and the music of the record i hear the music i hear the work of the individual musicians i hear the production i hear the sound mix i hear the relation of the song to the rest of the culture i'm hearing the whole picture really and and it's enjoyable uh, doing that but what i like best is when a song sweeps me up and makes me forget all of that that's the best experience and that taylor swift on coney island does that okay. of course i'm a, i'm aware of what the drummer is playing and and of when taylor brings in a particular backing vocal and so on and and the choices that they've made in the mix but but the the emotional sweep of the song overpowers that overrules it and, and that becomes my central experience in listening uh, and I'm, I'm very pleased that I can still do that. You've been recording for so long that sometimes, mm. especially with the newest stuff, you might become cynical of the songs or what you're listening to. So the fact that you're able to let it sweep over is still amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for it anyway. I know you come to South Africa shortly. What's your previous experience of South Africa? Well, I've never... I've never been to South Africa. Oh, haven't you? Okay, so it's going to be your first time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. So you, uh, are you looking forward to that? Uh, very much so, yes. Okay. I'll be very, very intrigued. I've never been to Africa. I will never, um, unless it's, is it more south than Australia and New Zealand? I think maybe New Zealand is further south. Than yeah, Utah. yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll have been further south, but never been to Africa before. So, of course, it's very exciting indeed. I've got a South African friend called Jacques Quetzer. Yeah, he, he's a visual artist who lived in Scotland for a few years, and he and I did a project together. So I'm hoping he and I are going to get together. Between your shows, are you going to take time to tour the country? Not tour the country, no. But we do have some time off. I think we've got a travel day between the two shows, so we'll, we'll see a bit of the place. Yes. I'm afraid I, I'm not a great tourist. Uh, I'm not so interested in going to see... The, the tourist spots. So if you've got famous landmarks or museums, I'll, I probably won't go and visit those. 
But if, if, if someone tells me about a great record shop or a great bookshop, I'll go and visit those. So the, the things related to your world more than the touristy things. Yeah. Well, I've never been a, I've never been a, 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 you know, it's partly because of, because of the work I do. I'm a musician and I'm conserving my energy yes. for the show. And so traipsing around a museum or a cathedral or an art gallery, it takes my energy mm-hmm. and leaves me like a show. And some of the band members actually like doing things like that. We had a keyboard player called Richard for, um, for many years, Richard Nafe. He's an absolutely sterling fellow. And one of his, his favourite things was to visit cathedrals. Okay. And I thought, why on earth does he visit cathedrals? Who would want to visit a cathedral? But he loved it, and it really worked for him, and it would, would really uh, enhance his day. But it just doesn't work for me. I, I would have no interest in that. Yeah. Well, I suppose each person has their own thing, which, uh, you know, create the energy. Because when you guys perform, there's a lot of energy, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of hard work. You know, the people on the st- on yeah. receiving end of it think, ah, oh, it's just an hour, sh- hour and a half show. But the traveling, the sound check, the energy to give, you know, it's yeah. a huge amount of work on your guys' side. And I think yeah. a lot of people in the audience don't necessarily know, understand that, or sometimes mm. appreciate all the energy that goes into it, all of it. Yeah. And, and you see, as, as a performer, I want my best energy for every show. Yeah. I want to be peak energy when I'm on stage. So that means I have to manage my day so that all my best energy is sort of banked for the show. Yeah. And I often notice during the day, I'm, I'm very tired. I don't have much energy. I need to have a sleep, yeah. uh, especially as I get a little bit older. Uh, but, and, and sometimes I'm in the dressing room 20 minutes before the show and I'm yawning. And I'm thinking, how can I possibly be on stage in 20 minutes? I've, I've no energy. And then something happens about five minutes before the concert. It's as if someone switches a switch on my back and suddenly the energy comes on and I walk out and all the energy I haven't had during the day is suddenly available to me. It's a fantastic feeling. And so that, that also helps rule out any kind of sightseeing or tourist stuff. Yeah. So we're looking forward to the show. So Mike, the podcast is listened to in South Africa, all around the world. As a yeah. final message to our listening audience, what would you like to say? Well, do you know, I, I, I hear so often these days about what terrible times we live in. Yeah, uh, and people are worried about the rise of authoritarianism, the the attacks on on women's physical rights and so on, and and the attacks on democracy. Uh, and and I, I am concerned about these things uh, as other people are. But I also think that that we've made incredible progress in the last 120, 150 years. We now most of the people in the world have freedom of thought. We have freedom to choose religion. We've emotional freedom and we've an incredible amount of information at our disposal. And so I think that the, there's that great saying about the arc of justice is the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Uh, and I would subscribe to that. We, we are evolving and there are setbacks, but we keep evolving and we ain't fucking going back. I like that. And we dropped the mic right there. <laughs> Thank you. 